For thousands of years, we've been under the impression the Bible was meant to be taken seriously. Finally, a new translation that'll change all that. This is Oh My God, What the Fuck Bible! Reach out, touch faith. Yeah, welcome to episode 16 of Oh My God, What the Fuck Bible with me, David Tuckman. We are coming to you once again from the Magnet Theater in front of a live audience. I'm really excited to have them all here. Each month on the show, a guest joins me and tries to read as many chapters as possible of my own personal translation of the Old Testament from the original Hebrew while I make fun of it. Today is Monday, December 30th, 2013. We're right in the middle of the holiday season here in New York. New York is bustling. Um, and I'm really excited because we are two days away from 2014, and I am very pleased to announce that not only have I finished translating the book of Genesis, but I finished editing it too. So that's, I don't have to carry that with me into 2014. It will happen. I will put Genesis out. I am very, very excited. Um, I want to invite our audience, before we get into the show, uh, something that we do after every show now is we have a bit of a discussion. Um, we have a conversation about what we've read this time. So I have some questions that I want to ask our audience. It's, it's a really interesting, interactive, philosophical conversation that we have. I'm inviting the audience that's here now to take part in it after this show. And if you do have a chance to come see the show, please come and talk to me after and criticize me and tell me I'm going to hell. Um, before we get into our guest... I wanted to read a holiday uh, Facebook status update that I made this month. Uh, recently, I said that the Earth's angle relative to its axis is the reason for the season. Um, yes, it is, I believe. And then a woman just uh, commented, nope, which I understand if you have, you know, but yes, it's true. Sorry. Um, our next episode is, I'm really also really excited to announce, is going to be held at the Stanton Street Shul. That's right. It's going to be in a synagogue. <laughs> and my guest will be Matthew Roth, author of some very interesting Jewish memoirs, one called Yom Kippur Agogo, most recently a book called My First Kafka, on January 22nd at 8 p.m. That's a Wednesday night. It's a different night. But enough of that. Let's bring out tonight's guest. Are you ready for your guest? She is a sex educator, uh, the owner of Fleshbot.com. She runs a collection called Boinkology 101 on Medium. Please welcome Lux Alptram. <laughs> welcome, welcome, Lux. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's so good to see you tonight. To see you. Um, I just <laughs> crumpled up my ball of questions and threw them on the floor. So I'm going to do this off the top of my head. I mean, how are you doing? You're, you're running Fleshbot. You're, you're into sex a lot. And this is a very... <laughs> you have a very active sex life, just oh, in and out of the bedroom, everywhere. Um, <laughs> and this is a very sexy chapter in some ways, or a very sexy episode, so I'm glad to have you here. Oh, th I'm very glad to be here. Cool. Um, I, I want to know a little bit about you, like your uh, religious background, you know, where, you, where do you come from? Where I come, well, Are you Jewish? And dad, yes, okay. I am Jewish. Uh, my background religiously is my dad is the child of two Holocaust survivors and was raised Orthodox, went to Shiva and everything. Like me. Well, yeah, yeah, exactly, except in Brookline, Massachusetts. Okay, slightly And different. my mother was raised Catholic and converted before my parents married. My sister and I were raised Reconstructionist, which I have recently learned a little bit more about. I grew up knowing that it was 
a very liberal branch of Judaism that was gay-friendly, feminist-friendly, very committed to the tradition, but allowing you to interpret it in your own way. Uh -huh. um, and then recently found out that it was founded in like the 20s. I thought it was like the 70s. because that it sounds very, very 70s, 70s, yeah. But no, it was founded in the 20s with this whole like, not exactly a personal God, but allowing for interpretation, kind of allowing atheism while being very committed to the culture. Cool. Um, so that was my experience of Judaism. And it's kind of shaped why I still have very positive feelings towards Judaism. That's good. So liberal approach to religion can shape adults who are still... Yeah, who knew? Interesting. Who knew? <laughs> a lot of rabbis will tell you different, but that's good. <laughs> Living proof of the opposite. Um, what? So right now, you're still sort of committed to your Judaism. You go to... You, you go to holidays. Yeah, I, I tend to be kind of a high holidays Jew. Um, I don't really go to shul on Shabbat. I, I really only go to shul on Yom Kippur and But Rosh you call Hashanah. it shul, so that's good. Oh, yeah. I mean, I go back and forth. You've been saying shul, and I kind of like it. It's it's shorter than synagogue. It feels like you're, you're hip. It's cool. You're not like... We're reclaiming it. Exactly. <laughs> but no, I mean, and then I, I observe Passover. I do Hanukkah. Um... Don't haven't celebrated Tubishvat in a really long time. <laughs> you know the more minor holidays. The Arbor Day of the so Jewish much. calendar. I know, right? No, but I I remember eating carob in the middle Tubishvat. of the winter too. <laughs> the United States. I do too. I remember like seeing carob leaves around my neighborhood on the no, floor. I just remember in going, going to the synagogue eating carob, Tubishvat. I feel like we made candles on Tubishvat too. I don't know. I sure. Remember, I remember like <laughs> dipping string in wax, and I feel like that was Tubishvat. I remember having an experience making tie-dye T-shirts uh, in Jewish summer camp on Tisha B'Av. Well, that just doesn't is, seem appropriate <laughs> no, at all. No, not at all. And also, I have the never... The saddest day of the Jewish holiday. I have <laughs> never observed Tisha B'Av because I, the synagogue that I went to was we didn't have our own building. We were in a... I grew up in Pennsylvania, which is the background on this, but we were in a Quaker school. Mm -hmm. And I, for whatever reason, I think maybe because the Quaker school wasn't around during the summer or maybe because they had summer school, we just didn't have the space in the summer. So I didn't go to synagogue in the summer, which is when Tish B'Av is. <laughs> so I just am like, I that, know that's that almost that like perfect for Tisha B'Av when the temple is destroyed. I Your know, temple right? was just taken away. <laughs> it just like, didn't exist. We didn't have that holiday. Uh, so I'm like, I know it exists, but mostly because of Isaac Bashevis singer stories. Okay. Like I've never had firsthand experience with Tisha B'Av. <laughs> This year, you won't eat for 24 hours <laughs> after doing this. Um, so do you believe in God? I So again, I was raised in a very liberal uh, Jewish tradition by two scientists. Mm -hmm. So I was told from a very young age that you could be an atheist and also be Jewish, which especially if you come out Very of, controversial topic right now. In the I know, right? This is a guy, David Silverman, who says of, you can't. If you come out of the kind of uh, Holocaust survivor tradition of Judaism, where Judaism is very much a cultural thing as much as it is a religious thing, it makes sense um, mm -hmm. to be like, okay, well, there's believing in God, and then there's having this whole ritualistic lifestyle that is Judaism. So I was raised to A, not see atheism and Judaism Nazi. in conflict, Sorry. and B, raised by scientists mm -hmm. who taught me to question everything. So for a while, I was agnostic Jew, and then I read... Uh, the God Delusion, 
which is kind of like a total like dick preaching to the choir. <laughs> Richard book. Dawkins, like, yes. It's not going to get you to not believe in God if you believe in God. But if you're on the fence like I was, I was like, okay, I guess I'm not agnostic. I guess I'm basically atheist. I mean, I... At least I mean, it wasn't God is not great by Hitchens, because that's right. even... <laughs> Right. If you've read that, that's even more obnoxious than Dawkins. No, no, I know. Well, he's very obnoxious, but I was like, okay. <laughs> you know, I mean, to me, I was he like... He wasn't I, obnoxious, he was just British, and we didn't yeah. get it. I concede that there could be a God, but the existence of God has no bearing on my daily life, which is one of the reasons why Judaism is appealing to me as well, because it's about... It's about living your best life, which sounds totally like The Secret or like <laughs> Oprah. But I mean, it's about it's about you know creating a heaven on earth. It's about having a bunch of babies and doing things so that you're going to be rich and have a bunch of babies. It's not about doing things so that you get some celestial reward. Mm -hmm. And like that's that. appealing to me. Yeah. So have you read the entire Torah? I do not. I, I or Tanakh. Tanakh. I have not. I've read many parts of it. But mostly, like through the context of uh, Jewish study in synagogue, I have not read the whole thing. What's I, your favorite story that you've read? My favorite story or that you is know. actually the one that my sister is named after, which is the story of Yael. Mm -hmm. uh, my parents wanted to give uh, their children biblical names, but my mother had this issue where virtually all of the women in the Bible are raped or they're one of the four mothers. And she was like, the four mothers, everybody's named after the four mothers. <laughs> uh, so my sister is named Yael. And Yael is a woman who, eh, there's some sort of war going on as often <laughs> as happens there is. in the Bible. And Yael ends up seducing a general, bringing him into her tent, think, getting him drunk. And then while he's passed out, Shoving a tent spike through his head. Awesome. And changing the balance of power. And so my mom was like, yes, my daughter is this murderess. That's way better than being a rape victim. Seductive murderess, a double agent. That's awesome. That's a good story. It's a pretty good one. One last question before we get into reading. Uh, and this is something I ask all my guests. What is your first memory of me? My first memory of you is... Meeting you uh, through Wendy, and we were on the Lower East Side, My and girlfriend. we went to a sex toy shop, <laughs> and I believe I was probably kind of bitchy, because I'm no. sort of bitchy to strangers. <laughs> <laughs> That's what you do with strangers, you take them to sex toy shops. <laughs> All right, let's get into it. Um, Previously, in the Bible, God created everything, including Yaakov, who pissed off his brother Asaph. Yaakov ran away from home, picked up some chicks, wrestled a nominous dude, and reconciled with his brother. Then he set off to return to his father's house. Along the way, we join him in progress. This is Torah, a loose translation. In the beginning, chapter 29, in which Dina, Yaakov's daughter, meets a boy, and it does not go well. Dina, Yaakov's daughter with Leah, took a walk to check out the local girls. Shechem, son of Hamor the Chivi, chief of the land, saw her and took her. They fucked like bunnies, and he humbled her. Okay, so, this is a long one. Things are about to get crazy, and, um, like, the morality of it kind of hinges on your interpretation of this line. In the, the Hebrew is, Vayishchavota uh, Vayanah. In the traditional reading, and this is in a lot of Bibles that I've looked through and really disturbing to me, uh, Shrem rapes Dina. It just says, like in kids' learning Bible, it said Shrem rapes Dina. Um, 
it's important to point out that there are two words here. It just goes right to he took her and raped her. Uh, first, it says first it says vayikachota, which means he took her. A lot of men throughout the Bible take women. It's not considered non-consensual when this happens. They take women to be their women. This happens constantly. Then it says vayishchavota, which definitely means consensual sex. The next section is vayaneha. That's where the trouble lies. I've trans- seen translations that range from he lay with her and violated her to he lay with her by force, probably not what it says, combines the two phrases, leaving out the consensual act, which is definitely wrong. Even if you do interpret it as rape, first he lies with her consensually. The word itself comes from a word that means shame. That's how I've translated it. He humbled her. Even Rashi, a very traditional medieval commentator, um, does not use the rape translation. He says the phrases mean he lay with her, meaning natural stuff, penis and vagina, and he embarrassed her. He lay with her in an unnatural way, so that might just mean butt stuff. <laughs> I think, and you know, or like he he yeah. she pegged him or something. Or which... I I was talking to my parents about this earlier, which I'll get into later. Uh, and my dad suggested another translation, which is that he slept with her and then he told all his friends. Oh, <laughs> this is apparently another way of reading it. Shlem kissed and told. Exactly. Took and told. <laughs> I want to know what Bronze Age S&M equipment looks like. <laughs> but yeah, this is all very important. Because of what it's about to happen. Suspense. Oh <laughs> Shlem's soul stuck to Dina. He loved the girl and spoke to her heart. I want to make this girl my woman, he told Hamor, his father. Yaakov heard that his daughter Dina had been soiled. Again, so the word soiled here indicates to a lot of people that there was some non-consensual act. Not clear what this means. The word is used in Leviticus for ritual uncleanliness, like when a woman has had her period, um, or when anyone has touched a dead person. Or, most importantly, Leviticus uh, 15, 18 or um, Vayikra Tet Vav Yud Chet, which says that if a woman has sex, she is unclean. She's been soiled. So is the man. Both people are unclean. They have to take a shower. The same word is used here. So this could just mean that Yaakov heard his daughter had sex and didn't go to the bathhouse after, which is not that inflammatory. It could also mean that Shem took her virginity, which... It is not necessarily a bad thing and definitely not as bad as non-consensual sex. Anyway, um, let's get back to this. He kept quiet until his sons came back from the fields with the livestock. Hamor, Shrem's dad, went out to talk to Yaakov. Parents are already meeting. Oh. <laughs> Yaakov's sons got back from the field. When they heard what went down, they were bummed and got very mad. This was an outrage in Yisrael. Someone had lay with the daughter of Yaakov. This is not done. Yeah, so they're not the most welcoming family. My son Shem's soul longs for your daughter, Hamor said. Please give her to him as his woman. In fact, you should all marry with us. Give your daughters to us and take ours. Okay, so I have to apologize here. I used the word marriage for the first time in my translation. I'm sorry that this happened. I could not find another translation for the word. Um, But to soften the blow, um, because I don't believe that anything that we can determine as traditional marriage happens in the Bible, to soften the blow, they are talking about just trading women like Pokemon cards. So (laughs) it does not bolster arguments against homosexuality. 
Live with us. All this land will be yours. Then you can trade with us and build up property here. Please be okay with this, Shechem said to Dina's brothers and father. Whatever you ask for, I will give you. Name the highest price you want. I'll pay any tribute to you. I will give you anything you ask for if you give me this girl as my woman. Oh, he really likes her. <laughs> because they were talking to the guy who deflowered their sister, when Yaakov's sons responded, they were very tricky. Oh, the Bible is really bad at doing Socratic irony. <laughs> we can't do that, they said. You see, we can't give our sister to a man who still has his foreskin. It would be a disgrace. How does anybody know? I suppose we could give you our sister on one condition. You become like us. If you circumcise every male in your town, we'll give our daughters to you, take your daughters, and live with you. We'll become one tribe. But if you don't listen to us and circumcise yourself, yourselves, we'll take our daughters and go. Their decision does not factor into this at all. This sounded like a good deal to Hamor and his son, Shechem. The boy was By quite... the way, Hamor means donkey, so... <laughs> So that might be some foreshadowing. Yeah. The boy was quite smitten with Yaakov's daughter and so got on the dick-chopping train right away. He was the most respected of his father's house. Hamor and his son Shrem went to the gates of their city and spoke to the people of the town. These people want peace with us, they said. They're going to settle in our land and start businesses. There's plenty of land to share with them. We will take their daughters as our women and give our daughters to them. Now... Before we can live with these people and become one nation, there's just one thing that these people want us to do. They want all of our males to get circumcised just like them. At this point, Shem and Chamor looked at each other and realized they hadn't checked to make sure Yaakov and his sons were circumcised. Their livestock, their property, their animals, it'll all be ours. We just have to do this one little thing and then they'll live with us. Every single man who walked out of the gate of the town listened to Hamor and his son Shechem. They, they like, all circumcised themselves. Great. So, some people say the reason Hamor and Shechem had such an easy time convincing the town to do this is because they were the barons of the area, and everyone who lived in Shechem were their slaves and had no choice. Three days later, they were all in a whole lot of pain. Shimon and Levi, two of Yaakov's sons and Dina's brothers, took swords, walked right into the city, and killed every single dude. They killed Hamor and Shechem with their cold steel, took Dina from Shechem's house, and left. Yaakov's sons walked through the dead, plundering <sighs> the city that had sullied their sister. They took their sheep, their cattle, and their donkeys. They took everything in the city and the surrounding fields. They took their wealth. They took the women and children as captives. They took everything in the palace. Oh my god, what the fuck? <laughs> screwed things up for me, Yaakov said to Shimon and Levi. Everyone around, the Kanani and the Prezi, know what you did and is freaking out. Yeah, never mind the fact that genocide is wrong. This is a bad PR move. There aren't a lot of us. If they ally and attack me, I'll be wiped out. Me and my house. You dumbass kids. Are we gonna let him make our sister a whore, they said? The end, I guess. That retort worked, because that's the end of chapter 29. Thank you lots for reading chapter 29. Chapter 30, in which Yaakov and the crew get moving. Get up, God said to Yaakov. Some alarm clock. Go to Beit El and settle there. It's going to be a great neighborhood someday, I promise. Make an altar to El, who has watched over you in your escape from your brother Esav. Get rid of all the foreign gods we have, Yaakov said to his house. Shit, guys, God's back. Pretend you believe in him again. Take a bath and change your clothes. 
Get up, we're off to bait L to build an altar to L, who answered me on the day of my sorrow and was with me ever since. Whatever, Jake. They gave Yaakov all the foreign gods they had and their earrings. The earrings were just because they thought they worked for him. Yaakov buried them under the elm near Shechem. Oh, he must have really hated those earrings. <laughs> As the family traveled, the terror of God descended on the cities surrounding them, and these cities did not attack Yaakov and his sons. The terror of God or the fear that these crazy people would kill them. Yaakov reached Luz in the land of Canaan. This is Beit El, with all his nation in tow. He built an altar there and called the place El Beit El. Um, he just named it Beit El the last time he visited a few chapters ago, all when he was on the way to Badanaram. I really, really hope he doesn't pass it again, because before you know it, it's going to be called El Beit El Beit El Beit El Beit El. Because that's where the gods revealed themselves to him. The gods, plural, uh-oh. Um, the word used here is Elohim, which is often used to refer to God, but the verb is Ninglu, which is a plural form. Oops. During his flight from his brother. Devorah, Rivka's nanny, died there. She was buried under Beit El, under the plain, and the place was called Alon Bachut. Maybe you're wondering what Rivka's nanny is doing there, considering that Rivka is Yaakov's mom. Um, I'm wondering that too. I accidentally transposed it at Leah the first time that I translated it because it makes no sense for her to be there. That's chapter 30. Thanks, Lux. Let's do chapter 31 in which Gob stops by for a visit. We're trying to fly through some of these really short ones because there's some genealogies on the way up. God revealed himself to Yaakov a second time on his journey from Padan Aram and blessed him. God reveals himself almost as often as the guy who hangs out near that gas station on 10th Avenue. <laughs> Your name is Yaakov, God said to Yaakov, but not anymore. You shall no longer be called Yaakov because your name is now Yisrael. And God called Yaakov Yisrael. I think this already happened. I really hope it sticks this time. I am El Shaddai, God said. Be fruitful. Multiply. Fuck a whole lot. Yaakov already has 12 sons. <laughs> a nation, no, a whole bunch of nations will come from you. Kings will spring from your loins. Hopefully not with crowns already on. <laughs> you know that land I gave to Abraham and Yitzhak? I give it to you too. And to your kids. God rose from upon Yaakov in the place where he spoke. From upon Yaakov. So Rashi has a very interesting comment on this line, which I think is very important to share. He says in Hebrew, This means basically, I have no idea what this is talking about. <laughs> Yaakov set up a stone pillar there. He poured a drink offering on it and anointed it with oil. Yaakov called the place where he spoke to God, Beit El. Oh, God, he already called it Beitel, and last chapter he renamed it El Beitel, because it probably is out of chronolo chronological order. But let's do chapter 32, in which there is a death and incestuous casual sex. God bless the Bible. Yeah. Uh, the whole crew left Beit El and were about a brat away from Ephrat when Ruchel gave birth. A brat is an ancient measurement. Apparently, it's about equivalent to the length of a really long sausage. <laughs> Her was... labor was unpleasant. Yeah. She was pregnant, by the way. Apparently. Okay. Don't worry, her midwife said during her painful, painful delivery. This one will also be a son. That's not what we're worried about. As her soul left her, she died, by the way. Oh. She named her son Ben-Oni. Which means son of my pain. And his father named him Benjamin. Which is great, because her dying wish was to name the son, and he overruled her immediately. 
Ruchel died and was buried on the way to Ephrath. This is Bethlehem. Also known as Bethlehem, birthplace of some dude. Yaakov erected a stone by her grave. This marker of Ruchel's resting place stands to this day. Uh, and has been fought over for centuries. Also, this is where those uh, non-fakey red Kabbalah strings that everyone wears comes from. Yisrael continued, traveled on, and pitched his tent beyond Migdal Eder. While they were living there, Reuben diddled Bilha, his father's mistress. Yisrael heard about it. And was cool with it, I guess. That's chapter 32. I think, okay, we definitely have time for 33. This is 33, in which the Bible decides to recap for some reason. Yaakov had 12 sons. Leah's sons with Yaakov were Reuben, Shimon, Levi, Yehuda, Yisachar, Zebulon. Ruchel's sons were Yosef and Binyamin. Bilhah, her handmaiden, had Dan and Naphtali. Leah's handmaiden, Zilpah, had sons too, named Gad and Asher. That's 12. These were the sons born to Yaakov in Padan Aram. Yaakov got to his father Yitzhak in Mamre, also known as Kiryat, Kiryat Arbe or Hebron. This is where Avraham and Yitzhak lived. Yitzhak was 180 years old. So Yitzhak, by the way, this is the first time we've had an age in a while. Yitzhak was 60 when Yaakov was born, which means Yaakov is now 120 years old. He fell apart. And he just had his last son. <laughs> he fell apart and died. Yitzhak was brought to his people old and satisfied with his days. Yaakov and Esau, his sons, buried him. Oh, together. That's nice. That's 33. Let's do, uh, let's do one more. I, we definitely have time for one more. In which we learn way too much about Esau's family. 34. These are the, sons, these are the descendants of Esau. He is Edom. Uh, Edom means red. Esau is the red tribe. Over the years, people began to associate Edom with Rome for some reason. They don't have anything to do with each other. Esau took his women from the daughters of Canaan. He took... Ada, Elon Nechiti's daughter, Ahalibama, daughter of Anna, who was Tzvion Nechivi's daughter, Basmat, Yishmael's daughter, and Nevi'ot's sister. Ada birthed Eliphaz to Esav, and Basmat birthed Reuel. Ahalibama birthed Yush, Yalam, and Korah. <laughs> These are the sons of Esav who were born in the land of Canaan. Esav took his women, his sons, his daughters, all the souls of his house, his livestock, all his animals, and all the stuff he'd amassed in Canaan and went to a land because of, because of his brother Yaakov. Rashi clarifies, the reason he went to a land was in order to find a place. Thanks, Rashi. The two of them couldn't live together, and the land they were staying in couldn't support all their cattle. The land wasn't big enough, well, you know. Esav settled in Mount Seir. He was Edom. You already told us that, thank you. This is what happened to Esau, patriarch of Edom in Mount Seir. His sons' names were Eliphaz, Adah's son, and Reuel, Basmat's son. Eliphaz's sons were Taman, Omar, cool name. Tzvo, Gatam, Kanaz. Eliphaz had a mistress, Timna. She had a son, Amalek. I, yeah. <laughs> These are Adah's sons. Okay. These are Reuel's sons. Nachat, Zerach, Shema, Miza. Those are Basmat's sons. So it's interesting that the grandsons are all attributed to their grandmothers. Esau's individual women, they're not attributed to Esau. That's cool. Kind of feminist, I guess. These are the sons yeah. of Esau's woman, Ahalibama, daughter of Anna, daughter of Tzvion. She had Yush, Yalam, <sighs> and Korah. Yes, you remember from before. Okay. <laughs> These were Esau's clans. Eliphaz, his firstborn, began these clans. Mm -hmm. Clan Taiman, Clan Omar, Clan Tzvo, Clan Kanaz, Clan Korach. I thought Korach was Esau's kid with Ahalibama. 
Clan Gatam, Clan Amalek. Those were the clans of Eliphaz in Edom and Adah's sons. Weird, they're classified as Adah's sons, but Korach was Alibama's sons, not Adah. We'll see if that, yeah. <laughs> These were Reuel's sons. Clan Nachat, Clan Zarach, Clan Shema, Clan Miza. Those were the clans of Reuel in Edom and Basmat's sons. These were the sons of Ahalibama, Esau's woman. We got one more page of this, okay. Clan Yehush, Clan Yalam, Clan Korach. This Korach, okay, sorry. This Korach is in the right place under Halibama, which means that there's an extra Korach in the text. By the way, this is really confusing. I had to, like, draw a chart in my apartment when I was translating this because I had no idea what the hell was going on. Rashi doesn't say anything here, so I did some research. There are actually multiple versions of the Hebrew Bible. Surprise. The traditional version, the Masoric text, which is what I've translated and is what everyone uses, what the King James uses, what like all Jewish schools uses, that has an extra Korach in the first list of clans. The Samaritan text, an alternate text that was discovered at some point, only has him here. The Samaritan text is probably right, but it's not the one we use. Oops. These were the clans of Asav's woman, Ahalibama, daughter of Anna, and all of these were the sons of Asav and their clans. This is Edom. Great! There's a whole lot more, but that's going to have to wait for next month. That's chapter 34. Thank you, Lux, for getting us through that. We went a little longer with the reading than I expected because I forgot how to tell time, so I'm sorry. But I, I'm glad we finished that chapter because I hate that one. Um, well, that's what I wanted to do the talk about. Yeah, that's, I mean. that's what we wanted to talk about after. Um, Thank you so much for reading. Before we move on, we're going to do a segment here called the Devar Torah, the Torah word, literally. Do you, can you sum up all five chapters that we've spoken about today into one single word? Sex? Sure. I mean, because if, uh, if it's not that rape, then it's just about children, and that's sex. Yeah, or just Ruvain and Billa getting it on for no reason. <laughs> right. Yeah. Just some casual. Throw that in there. Mine was consent. Because I guess I found it interesting in that first one, at least, where they're talking about, like, taking their women and go. And it's like, that's kind of weird, too, because <laughs> the women are treated as property. It's like this one moment where um, Dina and Shem seem to have kind of a loving relationship, and they're ripped apart by their awful families. I mean, what do you think about what we've read? So I actually, it was very meaningful to me to be able to read this because I have a childhood memory about this Parsha. Uh, as I mentioned, I went to a very liberal feminist synagogue and I have this memory uh, of being driven home from synagogue by my parents. And, you know, basically the way it would work was like we'd show up, everybody would be together for the morning prayers and the kids would go off and do their thing. The adults would read Torah and discuss that, and then everybody would come back together at the end for the concluding prayers. So I had missed the whole like discussion of Torah because I would have been like 11 or 12 at this point. And my parents were actually talking about this specific Parsha. And what I remember is my father talking about how, again, this being a very feminist synagogue, and this also being the 90s, a lot of feminists wanted to see this as a very positive Parsha mm -hmm. and see it as, you know, this woman was raped, and her mm -mm. family just took some serious revenge. And this is anti-rape and it's pro-woman. And my dad was like, but no, I, no, it's not that. Like, there's no indication that she was raped. That's a really weird translation of it. As my dad said earlier, as I mentioned, it could also just be the dude kissed and told. Yep. Um, and that was, you know, that really... Or they had hate outsiders. Yeah, yeah, or they hate outsiders. And my dad was like, 
you know, it's actually a really messed up story. It's very messed up. Where they go and they just, even if, even if the woman is raped, this whole like pillaging, murdering, and probably and raping. taking women and children yeah. as captives. That's basically raping all these other women. It's right. like beyond an eye for because it's eye. not like those women weren't taken as women and concubines and mistresses. Right, right. So I think it's it's a really messed up. Um, I think it's really, really messed up portion. And I think it's interesting to see how people try to translate it to put a more positive spin on it, try to see it as this like wonderful feminist no. thing of women being avenged. When A, even if it is women being avenged, it's in a really uncomfortable, horrible way. And not one that I really want to say like, that's how we should be dealing with rapists. And B, there's also the possibility that it's totally anti-woman in that some girl has consensual sex and it becomes this horrible horror show where the dude she's in love with gets horribly murdered after being forced to cut his foreskin off. Right. And maybe she slept with him because she liked foreskin. Yeah. <laughs> he did a puppet show for her, and it was great. No, I mean, I think it's very disturbing to me that people read this as rape, yeah. to be honest, because it's, it's really anti the grain of what the text says. Like, for instance... The reason that the brothers give for not wanting to give give their sister to Shem is they say, we can't do that. We can't give our sister to a man who still has his foreskin. It would be a disgrace. It's because of who he is. It's because he has his foreskin. That's what they say. If he raped her and they were pissed off, they would have said, no, you raped our sister. You're not getting her. But that's not at all what they say. I found something very interesting that I wanted to share, too, oh, in, awesome. in this book. Uh, a book called The Harlot by the Side of the Road by Jonathan Kirsch. And he makes an argument again that, like, this is a really, really tragic love story. That Shrem was really deeply in love with Dina and her family was awful. He, he points out that the language that's used, and I'll read the Hebrew here, Vatidbak nafsho bedina, bat Yaakov, that Shrem's soul sticks to Dina. Um, and he points out that that's the same language that's used in Genesis 2, I think in chapter 2 of my translation, um, where uh, Adam's soul sticks to Chava, presumably the first story of a man and woman getting together in the Bible, or the first love story in the Bible. That's the first time I think that that language is used in the context of love in the Bible. So it's really, really crazy that he loves her so deeply that he's mimicking Adam or Adam, and then he gets killed for it, and we call it rape now. I feel like there's fodder in this for some sort of indie film. Oh, absolutely. Like, you know, if they can do it with Romeo and Juliet, like, where's Baz Luhrmann? This is like, this Come is... On. I wanted to... One of my marketing lines for this that I threw away is that Shakespeare totally ripped this off. And this is the original Romeo and Juliet, I think. But it's with probably not. Foreskin. With more foreskin. <laughs> or less foreskin. Or just a pile of foreskin. Can you even imagine what that town looked like after they all got their circumcision? Just like, because the, there was no sanitation then, too. Just throw it on the pile. Oh, my God. Well, thank you so much, Lux, for being here tonight. Um, after the show, uh, we're going to stick around because we're going to have a conversation. We're going to talk about this. If you disagree with me, if you have a different translation, please stay and tell me. I'm going to ask you some questions. Also, um, I have these buttons that I had made up. Uh, oh, my God, what the fuck Bible buttons. So you want one, I will give you one and wear it on your body all the time so that people hear about this. Um, before you do plugs, I just wanted to say I'm sorry I skipped over this. 
Chapter 33, this is something that I'm going to do from now on. I'm really excited about it. Uh, chapter 33, I can tell you, if you're following along to Oh My God, What the Fuck Bible with uh, Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat, uh, we covered the song called Prologue, Any Dream Will Do, and Jacob and Sons. So listen to those songs after you listen to this podcast for some reason. Um, Lux, do you have anything to plug while I write down what our next uh, episode well, is? Well, I will say we mentioned my Medium collection. We mentioned Fleshbot. In addition, I have been doing some work with woodrocket.com, which is a legal free porn site and the home of such classics as Game of Bones and SpongeNob SquareNuts. <laughs> so I highly recommend checking them out. Anything else? That might be it for right now. Also, you can always follow me on Twitter at LuxNightmare, L-U-X-N-I-G-H-T-M-A-R-E, to find out what I'm up to. And my personal website is LuxAlptrom.com. Awesome. And as always, you can listen to the podcast uh, on iTunes, Stitcher, all of those things, cast role. Uh, you can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash omgbible, Twitter, omgwtfbible, Tumblr, omgwtfbible.tumblr.com. Everything is on omgwtfbible.com. Um, please share the podcast. Tell people about it if you like it. Um, invite them to listening parties at your house and then uh, cook them food after so they have positive associations with it. If you can, it takes two minutes. Uh, rate and review the podcast on iTunes. It really helps with their algorithm and spreads the word about it. Um, I want to thank, before we go, Emily Shapiro at The Magnet, Megan Gray, Ginny, uh, Tristan in the booth, our audio engineer, John Passaro, uh, Wendy Chin for making our marketing materials, our live audience. Thank you, guys. Lux Alptram and you for listening. Um, Please join us for episode 17 with Matthew Roth of the Sandon Street Shul on January 22nd at 8 p.m. Because next month in the Bible, more names, Joseph time. <laughs>